This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, let me extend another welcome to you. Say it's great to have you with us. We're in a series, as you can see, called Everyday Gospel, closing the gap between Sunday faith and daily life. And that's really the big idea of what we've been talking about now. I think this is the fourth message. We started with a message on the gospel in the ordinary. How does the Lord interact with us in the ordinary affairs of our lives? And uh, then we did a message on the gospel and sleep. And uh, how do we glorify God uh, through sleep and rest, which he has uh, called us to. And then last week, Bob Hughes brought a message on the gospel and money. How do we use our money to be people who are faithful stewards and generous with all that he has given us? And today, we're going to talk about the gospel and work. I even put on a tie like I'm going to work today. So, and I thought about bringing that gospel and sleep message in my PJs, but decided against it. So this is the only uniform I will wear for any of these messages. Next week's the gospel and leisure. So maybe I'll, I'll I don't know, maybe I'll wear sweats or something. But anyway, so I'll come in and, yeah, well, anyway. Uh, so I'll stop there because I don't know what else we're talking about. This could get ugly. So anyway, forget the other messages. <laughs> Uh, But anyway, so uh, let me pray and we will jump in. Lord, we thank you today for your grace to us and your kindness to us that you are a God who has given us a calling, each of us a calling to work in different arenas, different venues, and we pray that would be today you would help us to understand the purpose of work. We pray that you would give us a high and lofty vision of work, and I pray that you would encounter our hearts where they are uh, sour or unmotivated or, uh, or idolatrous towards our work. Lord, we just pray that you would do a Uh, a powerful work today that you would open eyes, change hearts, and uh, give us a new perspective as we walk out of here um, and as we wake up Monday morning. So Lord, please do what only you can do through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we're going to be looking at Genesis 2. So if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair. Uh, You can get it from under the chair in front of you and turn to page 1. How about that? It's on the first page of the Bible, Genesis 2. So the gospel and work. So you may be wondering, why is a pastor addressing work? And uh, from time to time, I will be asked that question by some clever guy who thinks he's the first person to ever crack the joke. And he will say to me, you know, why are you talking about work? You only, ha-ha, work one hour a week. Which is crazy, because we have two services. I I work two hours. (laughs) What what is he thinking? And uh, so why are you talking about work? You're a pastor. You only work one hour. And so in that moment, what I really want to say is, you know, sir, pal, uh, my full-time job is seeing that you mature and become more like Jesus. And right now, I can't imagine a harder job on the planet. (laughs) But I don't say that. I just kind of laugh along. And actually, I like being ribbed, so it's fun. But anyway... 
So what am I doing talking about work? Well, the Lord has a lot to say to us about work. We're going to look at a number of places in Scripture today. Let me first of all start by defining terms, work, because we have a diverse congregation in different circumstances. So let me talk about what I'm talking about today. I am referring to what you give the majority of your waking hours to. Whatever it is you give the majority of your waking hours to, that's what I'm referring to. So for many of us, it will be paid employment, your job in the marketplace. <clears throat> for some of us, if you are a stay-at-home mom, what I'm talking about today would be all that's involved in managing your home and in raising a family. Uh, if you are a student, how many of you are starting school tomorrow? Tomorrow, right, is school. Yes. Some of you aren't even listening to the teacher right now. It's going to go well tomorrow. You didn't even know what I was saying. But if you are in school, then what I'm talking about is your schoolwork and all that's involved there. If you are retired, then what I'm talking about today is whatever you invest your time in, in terms of perhaps volunteer work or helping with the grandkids' work or uh, church serving in the local church as part of your vocation and work as a volunteer. Uh, some of us are disabled, and so you are uh, unable to perhaps work in the marketplace. So I want you to think about this teaching today and think about what is it you do daily to navigate the difficulties of daily life, the self-care that, you, that is difficult and challenging, perhaps, for you. Uh, the work you do in maybe praying for others. There's a couple of folks in the church that are unable often to even be here, but they do the work of prayer, which makes a big difference in the life of the church, or the work of communication, sending a text, sending an email to stay connected and to encourage others. So whatever it is you do during the day. We are a diverse group, so while much of what I say is going to sound like 9 to 5, 8 to 5, or in this culture, seven to seven, uh, work in the marketplace. Much of what I say is gonna sound like that, but you try to take it and apply these truths wherever you find yourself. Um, if we're gonna have a biblical understanding of work, we gotta start in the beginning. So let's go to Genesis 2. This is the beginning in verse 15. Let's listen to God's word here. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So the Bible says that after God created Adam and he creates Eve in the rest of this chapter and so she's in the, in the garden with him, serving alongside of him. The Bible teaches us one of the very first things about his interaction with humankind is that they were working, placed in a garden and called to work. But the Bible tells us that there is work before this. There's work before Genesis 2.15 because the Bible teaches that God works. Back up one page to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the first thing the Bible tells us about God is that he's eternal. In the beginning, he is present. At the grand opening of the universe, God is present. He has always existed. So the first thing, in the beginning, God, we learn is that he's eternal. The second fact, isn't this fascinating? The second fact we learn about God in the Bible is that he's a worker. God created the heavens and the earth. And you say, well, that says created, it doesn't say work. Good observation. So go to chapter 2 and look at verse 1. 
After he's created, this is what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, he's completed creation, and on the seventh day God rested, uh, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It's repeated twice there, lest we miss it. So the first chapter of the Bible tells us this, this foundational truth of God is that God is a worker, and that's the first point I want to bring. If we think about work and how the gospel affects work, we need to start with creation and realize, number one, God works. He, he, it, it, work is not something that was thought up later. Work is not something that's beneath God and is just for his creatures. No, God works. The biblical view of work starts with God, who works not only at creation, but who is working constantly to sustain what he's created. In theological terms, that's called the doctrine of God's providence. Providence means that God oversees, superintends, and sustains all that he's created. And we saw that when we talked about sleep. Do you remember this? That we looked at Psalm 121, and we saw one of the reasons we can sleep is because God never sleeps. Psalm 121 says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you, that's an important word, keep. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. So the psalmist is saying we can trust the Lord because he's constantly at work. And when you go to sleep, he's working to maintain everything in the universe and in your life. So God works via creation and God works via keeping that is sustaining what he has created. Number two, God created us to work. And so now we can go back to our verse, 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. He places Adam and Eve, later Eve, in the garden to rule over his creation, to work it and to keep it. Now, these words work and keep are interesting. Um, Author Richard Phillips says the word work has a specific, well, it has a specific kind of a meaning. There's a specific connotation to it um, in the garden here. The word work means here to labor to make things grow. So we call all of our work work, but here he's distinguishing two kinds of work. Work here is laboring to make things grow in the garden. So it's cultivating, it's nurturing, it's tending. It's ruling, it's guiding, it's creating. So there's that aspect of what we do. I'm going to make some application of this in a second. But it's that cultivating, growth, development, that kind of thing is work. Creativity. And then secondly, it says to keep. And to keep, they're to keep the garden. That's protecting. Keeping is is sort of maintaining the progress you've already made. It is uh, is guarding. It is keeping safe. It's maintaining. It's caring for. And so think about this. God works, and he calls us to the exact same work. This work, these words, in the garden to work and keep, work is the creative work. That's God in Genesis 1. Keep is the maintenance work. That's God in Psalm 121. He keeps you. He will never slumber. So our work is tied to God. Our work is like God's work. It is creative, and it is uh, maintaining what has been created. I find this very, very helpful to think about what I do during the day and for you to think about what you do, that Adam and Eve were called to plant, but they were also called to guard and maintain. So think about your work, what you do. You likely 
have responsibilities in both of these areas. Um, and most people are strong in one area or the other. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, self-identify? I'm a creative. I always say, well, we'll be the judge of that. Let's see something that you've done. But no, no, that's, sar- man, I've got, that's a second sarcastic thing I've got going here. I'm a little riled up. So, <laughs> so okay, you're creative. That's good. But most people that are creative, so that's work in this sense. Grow, develop, but oftentimes those people aren't good at keep. So their office is out of control, a mess, or their workspace, their, their whatever room they create in. It's often a mess. And then there's the other kind of people. Well, I'm administrative. I don't have a creative bone in my body. Boring as all get out. But my books are ordered. My desk is neat. There's a place for everything, and everything has a place, and there's order. And, but I'm not, so sometimes we have a bent one towards the other, but we're called to do both. So you got to manage your budget, creative, and get out of your box a little bit, administrator, and, you know, uh, well, just get out of your box. There you go. I've just got to guard my tongue here because I feel like I'm going to say I'm going to get in trouble if I'm not already. So there's both of these going on. There is building and maintenance. There is growth and organizing. There is sales and service. There are both, and the other is not the enemy. They're together in God's kingdom. So let's think about this. Let me be very, if if that's kind of the 10,000 foot level, let me be super granular and get on the ground here. If this is the way God is describing this working and keeping, think about how that plays out in daily life. So the way work is used here, creating, developing, and growing, think about how that plays out in the marketplace. Working is hiring somebody. That's developing and expansion and growth. Working is making a sale. It's installing whatever it is that you install. It's writing code. It's teaching students. It's creating a graphic design. It's laying out a new initiative for the staff, a new direction, a vision. It's framing a home. It's working in a factory. It's marketing a product. It's designing a landscape, which is exactly what Adam did. It's designing a landscape. It's building a website, and it's writing copy for that website or copy for anything else. So that's developing. Think about that. There's also uh, keeping. Keeping is cleaning the shop. It's organizing the files. It's auditing the books. It's doing paperwork. Yes, there's a verse on that that's doing paperwork that says that is the work of God. It is providing security. Keep the garden, both in our day, virtual security and physical security. And this is where Adam fundamentally fails. He doesn't keep the garden. He doesn't protect because when talking snakes make their way into the garden, he should have been cutting heads off said snakes rather than engaging them or passively watching his wife engage them. He failed at keeping the garden. So keeping is security. It's doing maintenance on the server. It's filling out the expense report. It's working in customer service. If you have a customer service job, you are in the garden keeping. That is your calling. That's what you're doing. It's troubleshooting an IT problem. It's repairing an engine. It's all of these things. They are the call to keep in the garden. What if you're a stay-at-home 
Mom, how does this apply to you? Well, you work and keep as well. Working is developing, growing, creating. Have a vision for this. What is it you do that is developing and growing? It may be reading to your child. You're developing, cultivating their mind and understanding. This is the work of God. This images the very action of God who creates and, and develops and grows. You, you, you may play with your child. Preparing a meal is this kind of growing work. Decorating, which is beautifying your home. Training or instructing your child in anything, any aspect of life would be part of this. Shopping for food or necessities. Taking your child, I mean, how much, how much, how many feel like you live in a car? Taking your child to soccer or piano or whatever it is, that's developing, that's growth, that's giving them exposure and contributing to their development. Selling something from your home business, whether it's online or some other way or whatever means, perhaps if you, uh, if you have some kind of a home-based uh, way of, of uh, earning revenue. That is all growing, developing. That's the work. That is, he put them in the garden to work it. But you keep as well. A lot of your day is spent keeping. So see what the Lord's vision for this is. Let's get very down to earth. Changing a diaper is keeping. Cleaning the home. Doing the dishes. Do you know this used to be called housekeeping? In like the 50s or so. I saw it on Leave it to Beaver. Housekeeping. <laughs> People would hire a housekeeper. Do you know two things about that? That's an extremely, that's biblical language, keeping the home, keeping the house. Number two, everybody should be participating in that. I didn't really see that. I, I didn't see Ward doing a lot of work around the house on Beaver, but, uh, but everybody participates in that. You may be primary if you're at home during the day, but the whole family pitches in in keeping the home. Uh, and maybe your role to delegate some of those chores, that, that's keeping and maintaining as well. Maintaining your family budget, that is keeping. Uh, protecting your child, anything that you're doing with children to provide safety. Guarding their internet, training them about wisdom, putting sunscreen on them, taking them to the doctor for their health. Whatever you do to maintain the safety and health of your family you're keeping. Students who lacked an impressive response early on, but I got faith in you guys, okay? Here we go. Here we go. Students, working is when you are reading, you're learning. You're learning a new concept. When you're listening to a lecture in your history class, you are taking in information and you are growing and developing and expanding your understanding. That's work in this example. When you do an experiment in science class, when you do your homework, when you create a work of art, when you are learning a piece of music for choir or band, or you're learning to throw a curveball, when these kinds of things, you are, you are working because you are learning, developing, growing in your life. And that's part of school, that's part of education, that's part of training. When you're writing an essay, you say, hey, I am, I am doing Genesis 2.15 work here. You're creating something. God, God does that and God charges you to do that with all your might for his glory, when you're writing an essay, when you're memorizing your lines for a school play, you are fulfilling a sacred calling of working. And students have keeping responsibilities too. When you're reviewing what you've learned, you take notes, hopefully, and then when you review those or you go over the teacher's review sheet for the test, you, what are you doing? You're maintaining what you've developed and learned. 
That's keeping the garden. The garden grows. Now we've got to shape it and maintain it. That's studying. That's keeping. God has called you at this season of life to do that. To, to preserve and maintain what you've already learned. When you organize your folders or cl- virtual or physical folders, when you clean your desk, all of these kinds of things, you are fulfilling a sacred calling. Now, why am I going on with tedious examples? Because most of us never think this way. We, we never engage mentally what we're doing. We never tie it to God's creation of us, nor do we tie it to how does it reflect what God's doing. Most of us aren't doing the dishes and thinking God keeps Israel, God's a keeper, God's called me to keep in the garden. I'm being like God, I'm reflecting the glory of God, and I'm serving others so that we have something to eat on tomorrow. We often don't make those, and so, it's, so work is drudgery. And life is drudgery without vision, without knowing what God's called us to do. It, it's drudgery at times. That's why I'm going through all of these examples and to point out that all of work matters. All that we create and grow, all that we develop is for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. We do these things because they benefit others. They help others flourish. It's something that God has called us to for his glory and the good of our neighbor. When we maintain, and this one's obvious, when we maintain and care for things, it, it not only glorifies the Lord, it serves other people. When you come into an environment that has been cleaned or organized or ordered God is a God of order. Look at the universe. He is a God of order. Look at the creation of the eyeball. You can go micro and look at the human body. You can go macro and look at the universe and say, God is a God of order. And so when we're bringing order, that's keeping the garden, part of our original intention, and that glorifies God, but it serves other people. It serves other people. And so this is what we are created to do. I think this, this also communicates something very important, that all work matters, not just spiritual work. A lot of Christians have the idea, well, the work that really counts is like what I'm doing right now in my one hour a week of work. But uh, what I'm doing right now, it's like, like being, a, being a pastor, that counts. Like being a missionary, that really counts. And if it's, and if it's not Christian, if it's merciful work, you know, being a social worker counts. Um, being a dedicated teacher in the inner city counts, but my job doesn't really count. That, that is not, the, you won't find that in the Bible. That, that, is a, that is a foreign concept to the Bible, and it is a concept that hinders us in living with vision for what we're called to do. There's not higher values of work. The first worker is not a preacher, a prophet, or a social worker. The first worker is a gardener. The first worker is in the dirt, digging. The first worker is a manual laborer, uh, Adam. And in Frisco, there's the spiritual secular division, but there's also this division in Frisco in a culture like ours that's that's populated, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's populated by a number of folks that have what is called, quote, like a professional job, that there can be a distinction between what our culture calls, I don't know a better way to describe it, white-collar work and blue-collar work. Knowledge work versus manual labor or labor-oriented work. And so there's a distinction in this culture among some that says one is better than the other. One is more important than the other. 
And yet, not only is Adam a gardener, but when God himself incarnates and becomes man, he picks up a hammer and he swings a hammer and God is a carpenter. Now later, he did have three years of a teaching ministry, which arguably might have been viewed as a little bit more white collar among educated uh, folks as a rabbi. So there's a portion of his life where he did that. But the majority of his life, the majority of the God-man's life is in manual labor. So this is a distinction that is foreign to the Bible. And we need to cut through that in our culture. It's another, like racism, it's another way of stratis, uh, stratifying people and evaluating and ranking people's worth, not based on the color of their skin, but based on what they do for their job. Many stay-at-home moms struggle with this, feel like, hey, I don't feel like I'm using all my gifts or I don't feel like I'm making a real contribution. And there can be a bias towards that or a self-bias that a lady can put upon herself, you know, a negative evaluation. So this is not biblical. Believing all work matters means that we don't make these value distinctions between spiritual and secular, knowledge work versus manual work, marketplace work versus domestic work. No, God is, creates and maintains. We're placed in a garden. That's wherever you are, wherever you're called to work, the relationships he's given you, the tasks he's given you. We're called to be in that environment to create and to maintain. That's the biblical view of work. We introduce a whole lot of other stuff into that that's not biblical. So, God works, we're called to work. Number three, the fall affects our work. Work is not a result of the fall. Did you notice God works, the first verse of the Bible? It's called work in chapter two. Man and woman work, men and women work in chapter two. In chapter three is the fall. That is where Adam and Eve resist God, reject God, and seek to be their own gods. From that, There is a curse brought to man and woman and the devil actually as well. But this is the curse that's brought to Adam in Genesis 3.17. You can turn one page over there. Genesis 3.17. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground. Okay, the garden's changing. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns. And thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to the dust you will return. So any, any Bible study, any sermon that talks about work that does not acknowledge this is incomplete. Work is hard. It, there, it is toil. It is difficulty, and that's the result of the call of the fall, rather. He says that you will find your work different. Now, before, the, the ground, the environment wasn't opposed to you, but now it is. There's thorns and thistles. Now, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Now, when you put your hands into the garden, your hands are going to get cut by thorns and thistles. Now, you're going to grow weary. Now, you're going to be tired. Now, your back is going to hurt because of work. And so the fallen world makes all of our work difficult. It's changed from Genesis 2. So now people don't show up to the appointment. It's part of the fall. Now uh, the data is hacked. The flight you needed for your sales presentation is canceled. The parts are on back order. The budget is cut. The toddler is sick and all 
Hades is broken loose in your home because of that. You are bone tired and the deadline remains. Work is wearying because of the curse. Not only because of that, not only do those things happen, it's not only system failures and mechanical failures. The greatest challenge to work now is, well, it's people. Because work is essentially relational. It's intended to honor God and serve others. But the fall affects our natural bent so that now we are selfish by nature. Now we are selfish. And through work, we experience, whether it's in your home, in your school, in the marketplace, with your clients, with your employees, with your boss, we experience conflict. Now we experience deception, backstabbing and gossip. Workroom politics, anger, disappointment, pride, envy, greed, and a host of other sinful attitudes that make our jobs and our homes and our schools places that we find relational thorns and thistles as well as physical thorns and thistles. So work is hard. There is frustration and emptiness in our work. I did a study this week. Now you really are going to say you only work once a week. I did a study on popular songs about work this week. And wow, was it interesting. And I watched videos, some of which I couldn't make it all the way through, but I read a lot of lyrics. And uh, by the way, there is a shift, at least in popular songs, from how work is viewed from the 70s, 80s, and 90s to the 2000s. There's been a shift, which I want to comment on. But this idea that work is frustrating and work is empty, this Genesis 3 curse, it's what most songs about work are about. It's what most of them are about. Here was a popular song in the 70s. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. My woman done left and took all the reasons I was working for. That's a profound line right there, which I want to comment on. You better not try to stand in my way because I'm walking out the door. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. I've been working in this factory for nigh on 15 years. A really poor attempt at being poetic by using the word nigh in this song. But anyway, all this time I watched my woman drowning in a pool of tears. And I've seen a lot of good folks die that had a lot of bills to pay. I'd give the shirt right off my back if I had the guts to say, take this job and shove it. It's a guy who imagines himself going into the boss and saying, I'm out of here. Why? Because he was only working to meet his needs. He was only working for his wife who was depressed, or woman, he didn't say what, who was depressed and struggling, and she finally left him. And so he had no reason to work. The only reason, his only purpose and vision for work was to provide for her, and now it's gone. And it's futile because he's seen people in the factory die. And when they died, they were in debt. They couldn't even maintain their lives. So you know what? Take work, shove it. I want no part of it. That's in the 70s. Here, here's something from, I don't know, seven years ago? I don't really know. The sun is hot, and that old clock is moving slow, and so am I. Work day passes like molasses in wintertime, but it's July. I'm getting paid by the hour and older by the minute. That's a great line. I'm getting paid by the hour and older by the minute. My boss just pushed me over the limit. 
I'd like to call him something. I think I'll just call it a day. Pour me something tall and strong. Make it a hurricane before I go insane. It's only half past 12, but I don't care. It's five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) I read that in a poetry competition. No, not really. (laughs) What's he saying? Life is bad, it's, it's, it's moving slow, it's mundane, it's purposeless. It's July, but I feel like molasses in wintertime, a nice, nice metaphor. And I'm getting paid, I've got an hourly job here, it's not a salary job, I'm getting an hourly job, but I'm making no progress in life. I'm getting older by the minute. And on top of that, there's workplace oppression under the fall, because he may not have thought all these things, but the boss has just come in and abused his power, pushing me over the limit. I'd like to call him something. It's the weak who can't speak to power. It's just like the other song. I wish I had the courage to say, take this job and shove it. I wish I could call him something. I think I'll call it a day. I think the second verse says that that he hadn't had a day off in a year or something like that. So what am I going to do? It's 1230. Pour me a hurricane. And that will... Uh, that will, you know, that will absolve my pain. Just get drunk. And he goes on to say, I'm going to be drinking until end of the evening. So I'm going to have this drinking binge to avoid work. It's only 1230, but I'm going to justify it because it's quitting time somewhere. It's quitting time somewhere. And then we go to Margaritaville, same guy who helped write that one. So uh, so, and the, here's the modern songs. I couldn't even quote most of the modern songs. I mean, that pushed it for some of you to hear that in church. But uh, the modern songs that I read, the pop, particularly the pop songs and the hip-hop songs from the last 10 years or so, sexualize work. And so work is working it, if I can say that. Uh, that's what work is. So the, the images are, I'm going to avoid work and give myself to sexual pleasure, or I'm going to have sexual pleasure in work, or this is a common one, I'm going to work to make money so then I can go to the club and find someone. And, and so it's, it's, it's words that sexualize work as I want to work in order to have pleasure. I don't want to work, uh, I want to have pleasure to avoid work. That's a very common theme in uh, modern day music. It's all the fall. It's the result of the fall. But here's the hope. God redeems our work. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, the reversal of the curse has has begun. We're reconciled to God and that affects all of our lives, including our work. Your salvation is to touch all of your life, including this that you give most of your waking hours to. That's why we started this whole series in Colossians 3. Where Paul says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, by him or through him. So you've come into Christ, your sins are forgiven, but you are now in the kingdom under the rulership of a new king. You have a new relationship, and so all your life now counts. Everything matters because you're doing this for the Lord. Even oppressive, difficult work situations, you are not ultimately working for that boss. You don't have to tell him what off what you want to tell him because you have a new boss. That's why in Colossians 3, a few verses later, after he says, do everything for the Lord, this is what he says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men. 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of, the, of your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So in Jesus, we are taken back to the garden. There are still thorns and thistles, but now we're back in relationship to God, reconciled to God, working for God. Yes, we honor our employer. Yes, we serve others like it really matters, but we have a new boss. And so our work is now redeemed. This is amazing good news. You, you may have the same coworkers, you may have the same clients, but you have a new purpose to serve them, to make their lives better, and to reflect Jesus to them. You, you, you now have a, a, uh, a new calling to get out of bed in the morning for. Your work is not just your own self-interest. It's not just to get by. It is to glorify the Lord. And here's something really amazing, that once you're a Christian, the biblical view is this, that all of the angst in the, in the lyrics that I just read to you about, or the modern angst of let me just get out of here and have pleasure, or let me just make money so that I can have pleasure, all of that angst, all of that, the thorns and the thistles in the garden, they become purposeful. Once you become a Christian, the thorns and thistles don't go away. They may increase because you might add persecution uh, to the list of troubles now, maybe. But the relationships at work, the domestic frustrations at raising a family, the homework assignment that seems like meaningless busy work, all of it, God says, I'll take that. The frustrations of home, the oppressive, rude boss, the ungrateful client, the this is busy work. Why am I ever going to use this in my life? I know I said that. And a lot of that stuff you're not. Let me just tell you straight up. One adult to a kid, a lot of that you're not. But that's not the primary purpose. Once you, once you have been redeemed, the primary purpose of doing that is not just when am I going to pragmatically use that. All of those challenges now, if we trust God with them, if we lean on him, if the thorns and thistles become something that push us to him, then he uses them for our good. He actually takes those and changes us through them. Think about this verse, James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's how the gospel answers the thorns and thistles. That's how the gospel works the call to work to image God in a fallen world and fills us with meaning and purpose even in the midst of difficulties. It is the promise that God is using this to make me more like Jesus. That this difficulty pushes me to Christ. Yes, work is difficult. Everybody here has a difficult work situation. If you don't, you're in Genesis 2, but I know you're in Genesis 3. And that great work situation that you just walked into, the honeymoon will end, my friend. There will be people around you. There will be sinners around you. Things won't go as you expect. All work has its difficulty, but we're redeemed because God takes that difficulty God takes that challenge, God takes that situation, and he causes us to trust him so that we become more and more like Jesus as he works through us. So get this, work becomes our primary arena for discipleship. If you want to count time, sleep would be one, but if you want to count time, work is your primary arena for discipleship. Work is not what you do so that you can then get to discipleship. 
reading my Bible. Yeah, that's part of discipleship. That's easy compared to work oftentimes. Going to church, this is easy compared to going to work oftentimes. Maybe this is difficult for you, but for most of us, this is easy. So that means work becomes a prime, think about this, work becomes a primary venue for spiritual growth. God is doing something in your heart through the crying toddler, through the crying boss, through the crying student as you have to do this assignment once again. God is at work. So God works, we were created to work, the fall makes work difficult, God redeems our work by giving us a new master that we can glorify, a new purpose that we can serve others through our work, and a new promise that he takes the very thorns and thistles and we can count them joy because that is the test of faith that produces steadfastness. And many of us would say, my greatest test of faith will come Monday morning when I wake up to go to my job. I want to close you with two, close with two thoughts. There are two errors that affect our approach to work and lead to an unbiblical experience of work. One is this. I got this phrase from Dan Darling, an author. Work is everything. Work is nothing. Those are the two errors. The work is nothing error is this. We don't see work as spiritual. We're Christians. If you're a Christian, I'm Christian, I want to follow the Lord. I want to live my life for the Lord. We don't see our work as spiritual, so we minimize it. So work becomes a means to an end. The only reason I worked here is to provide for that woman, is what uh, Johnny Paycheck wrote in that song in the 70s. So we, we minimize our work. It's just to provide for ourselves and our family, and our work is disconnected from our faith. So here's how we connect work to our faith. Well, I'll make enough money and I'll tithe, and so then that'll glorify the Lord, or I'll support a missionary. Maybe on a rare occasion when I'm really, God opens a door, I'll share my faith with a coworker. Okay, maybe I'll do that. But we don't see that our faith is integrated to our walk with God so that work is the arena for our discipleship. If we're following Christ in all of life, then it can't just be this. This is, this is a very small part of our week. It can't just be our quiet time, our devotional life. That's a, even if you have a robust devotional life, that's a very small time of the week overall. It's through work that God wants to meet us in our work, that God works through us in our work to bless his creation, to grow and keep his creation. He works through us as his people. Some of us wrestle with valuing our job, and so we minimize work. Work is nothing because this isn't what I really want to do. And so maybe you have a service a job in the service industry, and maybe you say, this is just temporary, I'm working my way through school. But it's where the Lord has you now, and it's where he wants to test you and mold you and shape you now so that you'll be prepared for whatever he has for you in the future. But it has value now, not just when you get there, it has value now. Or maybe you say, what am I doing? I'm with the kids all day at home. What contribution am I making? I feel like it's an endless, I feel like there's no grow. I feel like it's maintain." all the time, and whatever I just maintained, someone spilled, and now it's more maintenance, and my life is keeping. Yes, but God wants to meet you in that. God is creating and shaping and forming your children and, and shaping and creating and forming your spirit to be conformed to the image of Christ in that. That's, that's what he wants to do in us. That, that raises the value of what we're doing. What if I'm retired and my scope is much smaller? 
I don't do as much. Well, whatever you do, that's where the Lord wants to help you see, I'm doing this for the glory of God, whatever you do with your time. And maybe the Lord's calling you to invest your time differently in volunteer work or maybe even part-time work, I don't know. But something that he's calling you to do. So we can think too little of our job, too little of work. Listen to this quote by Dan Darling. He says, your job on Monday is not a means to an end. It is part of your divine calling to fulfill the mandate God has given to us as God's image bearers. The cubicle, the garage, the classroom. These are sanctuaries where you are called to worship your creator with your best work. Now that is a lofty vision of work. My cubicle is sanctuary? Are you kidding me? Sanctuary of death is what it feels like. But no, it is, a, it is a place where you are to do your best work to the Lord. Okay, so it can be nothing to us. And the Lord wants to elevate a biblical vision for our work. For some of us, it's everything to us. Work can become too important. When we draw our identity from our work and our success and failure in life is tied to our success and failure in work. So my self-worth is based on how much I make or if my job is impressive to other people. Or if you're a stay-at-home mom, my self-worth is based towards how my kids are doing or how my kids turn out. They were called to work and to keep. Who brought growth in the garden? God did. Adam and Eve can't cause growth. Adam and Eve can sow seed and cultivate and keep, but only God brings results. And that's why the call is to faithfulness, whether it's the garage, the cubicle, or the family room, whether it's the sales presentation, or whether it is uh, you know, doing a design, software design, or something like this, whatever it is you do. It's faithfulness we're called to. And when we draw our identity there, then what happens is we either think we're all that when things are going well and we're proud, or we, we think we're nothing and have nothing to contribute because we compare ourselves and others make more, have a more impressive title, do more, more successful than we are. Their home looks better than ours and their kids are better than ours or whatever if you're a stay-at-home mom. This can be the challenge. And so, we, so when it's too much to us, it takes our identity and then we make that our God, our work, and we will sacrifice to our God. Workaholism is idolatry. Workaholism isn't like, wow, that's a great at work ethic. ethic. No, workaholism is I'm addicted to work because I'm addicted to something. Greed, I'm motivated by greed, position, power, the good sense of feeling I have when I accomplish something. And workaholism cheats into other vocations. We're talking about work and I'm almost done. But there's other vocations that we're called to. Callings. If you're married, it's to be a spouse, it's to be a parent. If you have kids, it's to be a neighbor, it's to be involved actively in your local church as a Christian. You have neighborhood callings and these kinds of things. And workaholism, work idolatry cheats into those. And so the marriage is compromised because we don't spend time with our spouse. The children are, are, are harmed because they have an absentee parent that's married to their work. The church suffers because, and the glory of God and the ministry suffers because people don't have time to make it and serve into the church because their job is everything. Your physical health suffers. You have ulcers, you have anxiety because this is your God and this is your everything. Your mental health suffers. So whatever we're willing to give up for our job shows that our job can be too much. We're treating as a God what God has given to us as a gift. Work is a gift, not a God. 
work can be an escape from all of our other problems at times. May God help us to have a right vision, right? There's two ditches here. Work is nothing, doesn't really matter unless it's spiritual. That's one ditch. The other ditch, work is everything. I'm giving my life to it no matter what it costs, me or anyone else. And the road in between is receiving the gift and using it for God's glory. Here's our problem for many of us. Gordon Dahl stated it well. Our problem today is that we worship, this is not everybody, but we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. We worship our work, we work at our play, we'll talk about play next week, and we play at our worship. So how do we respond to this message? Well, we get our eyes on God, we say God created work, we are created in his image as image bearers to reflect him. Work is difficult and hard. Let's acknowledge that. Let's bear one another's burdens. Let's weep together for where there are challenges and disappointments and hopelessness. Uh, Let's help one another, pray for one another. But in Christ, we are, our work is redeemed. Now, all work matters. All work before our new Lord can make a difference to glorify him and to serve other people. And the good news is that God wants to take this arena, which is is difficult at times, to get our eyes on him to change us and conform us to his image. He wants to work through us. He wants to display his glory as people engage their various jobs, their various callings, their various vocations, full of faith towards the Lord. And that only happens as we look to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me. I'm minimizing my work. It's just to get me through and to provide. I don't really even care about it. Lord, help me care about it as you do. I'm worshiping my work. Lord, help me to repent of that and help me to receive your forgiveness and help me to to work as you're calling me to work. It's coming to Jesus who died and gave his life that we might be his and might find purpose and meaning in our work. So the application is, Lord, give us a new vision and a new purpose. And the application is we're going to sing and then I'm going to dismiss you and you're going to go and many of you don't work job today, but you're going to wake up tomorrow or you're going to go home and do whatever you do and uh, ask the Lord to help you in all this. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.